welcome to the Upriser podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner. Upriser focuses on technology conversations centered in the future of work and how new technologies are applied and how work evolves. The Upriser podcast is brought to you by Topcoder. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Upriser podcast. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner, VP of Marketing at Topcoder. And, you know, on Upriser, we like to look at all different perspectives when it comes to the freelance revolution and the future of work. And that's why I'm absolutely thrilled to have today's guest on the podcast. Her name is Emily Lynn. She is a pioneer in the world of freelancing. And we're not talking simply because she's done this for 30 plus years now. She's been you know, a rock star freelancer. No, no, no. It's because she's focused her time on helping other freelancers have basically the same opportunities, maybe even better and more opportunities than, than those that are in the traditional labor market. And we're talking things like mentorship, collaboration, the human connection that so many people really attach and, and recognize through their traditional jobs. And we're going to dive into the, how'd she do it? She created brand new opportunities for freelancers with, with different events and conferences and these different network effects that she's created. We're going to talk all about that today and a whole lot more. So please help me welcome Welcome, Emily Leach, to the Upriser podcast. Emily, how are you doing today? And Austin looks beautiful. I'm doing fabulous in Austin. I, you know, I do a little sleuthing, as anybody who runs a podcast ought to. I did learn <laughs> that you that you like to garden, that you like to, to mountain bike. I, I think we got your garden over your, your right hand, hand shoulder, or at least part of it there. And I happen to love, like probably a lot of folks, love Austin. I've been there quite a bit, uh, South by Southwest for several years, which is, of course, usually what sometimes when other people, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you're called Austinites. I'm going to throw that out there and yeah, see if it sure. sticks. <laughs> sure. Why not? When Austinites tend to flee the city sometimes, right? But when, it, yeah. when, when the rest of the world <laughs> comes to it. But I've been there for other smaller events as well and just um, speaking opportunities. When I do run, and I, I like to run a bit, um, I always found that the, the Lady Bird River, the, the trials and tributaries around there and the trails were just my favorite that I've ever experienced. And that, that includes the beautiful sights. And you got that famous bat bridge with like a million bats sitting there. Yep. You got to, I, I tend to be a little more quiet, probably don't have to be, but I, I just, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about the, the Bruce Wayne scenario when he falls down the well and I'm like, okay, I'll, <laughs> yeah. just, I'll be a little more quiet, but I want, I want the listeners to know, you know, you like your mountain biking and your trails is the Ladybird trails like the touristy spot that people go to. And are there other ones that are like the real treasures that the, the Austinites that we've now coined kind of, you know, kind of know about. Yeah. So we have an area um, called Barton Creek. And which is a tributary that goes into the Colorado River, which is, you know, we have the Colorado River gets dammed up a few different times. So we have, you know, Lake Travis and then we have Lake Austin. And then right below that dam is Lady Bird Lake, which is what you're you know referring to that has the trails that go around it. So those trails, the ones that you're referring to are both the ones that the people that are coming into town get to see because, you know, you have hotels around it. They're yeah. easy to find. Um, you can go down, up and down. There's some boardwalks along it and stuff like that. But then unless you, you know, do a little bit of research and, and check it out, then you find the green belts, what a lot of people call it, in the Barton Creek. And there's trails that go all the way along there. Sometimes a creek, that creek is flowing. Sometimes it's not. Whereas the lake that you're talking about is constant level. There's always water there. So as uh, Austinite, I think that is what we call ourselves. <laughs> Uh, we, you know, like right now it's springtime. We've been getting a lot of, um, well, I guess it's actually summer, but it feels like spring in Texas right now for some reason. And 
we've been getting a lot of rain. So the water mm -hmm. is flowing. And so the green belt uh, is beautiful because it's got water in it. And when it's dry, it's, I mean, it's still beautiful, but it, water makes everything. Okay, here it goes. Here's my Texas. Beautifuler. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And um, I have a, I have a, at least I would think an interesting Barton Creek uh, story to share. So I was there in 2013 and there was there's a really nice resort i don't there's probably several but there was some it was like a cio conference you know kind of a where we were a paying customer at top coder who want to go rub elbows with ctos and cios so c-level executive thing um i forget the, the exact name you probably know it but it was like a barton creek yada 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 beautiful beautiful resort so the quick skinny I get there a couple of hours early. I land, I get there. We have a, a dinner reception that night. And at that point, I was doing lots of swimming as well. So I'm like, all right, they had a nice pool. I go for a swim. I grab a towel from the towel rack thingy, right, that you'd find in your resorts. I put it around my, my neck. Um, I go back to my room. I start doing it's just some emails before I got to get ready for dinner. And then I feel this incredible pincing, sharp needle pain in my right like abdomen. And I look down and I, I didn't even see it. I grab something, throw it to the floor, smash it with a credit card because, or like a, a welcome card they gave us. And I turn it over and I got stung by a tiny little scorpion, right, <gasps> right, right, the resort. And, um, and oh boy, it was, you know, a dude who's lived in the Northeast his entire life, a New York who lives in Connecticut. Um, I don't know anything about scorpions, right? So what I do now know is, don't Google anything about scorpions. Like just, just call the EMTs, call the medics, you know? So you start panicking. You don't know, you don't know, like, is this real? Am I just hyperventilating? Am I, am I, you know, causing myself a panic attack here? So I'll hit the fast forward button. It was about 14 days later when it finally wore off. So I had a, I had a trip to the trip to the ER while I was in Texas, a couple days later, had a had a go, had a go to Orlando for a different event, thought I was okay still felt really out of it, got home. And then in the Northeast, they have no idea how to do anything with scorpions. They're like, we don't know. Like we, don't, we have no idea, like just relax. Mm -hmm. um, I tried to go for a jog on like day 11 and I fell over a curb. Like my, I was just my, my, so imbalanced for about, about 14 days. I ended up talking with a doctor who actually knew a thing or two about scorpions. And he's like, yeah, like on the indemnation level, he's like, given your symptoms, how long it lasted. He's like, you were probably between a three and a four. He's like, a four to five is where they start thinking about giving you the anti-venom. Um, but that has sincere uh, consequences, if you will, too, because wow. lots of folks are allergic to the anti-venom because they think it's made with horse blood. So very, very... So, so Regardless, oh my I, learned, goodness. I learned a lot about scorpions, and I learned um, I learned to shake out any towel while you're <laughs> while you're in that area, and it was and again it was just a towel that was inside the little column rack yeah. at a resort, you know. So um, good luck, bad luck, some sort of luck, uh, but it was. But that's my that's Barton crazy. story. So yeah, and uh, but I but it, with all that, I still love Austin, Texas, which is, which is cool. So very much looking forward to. Uh, to head and back down there. And hopefully when I get down there, maybe, maybe we can meet up. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a I'm big fan of anybody who's really looking to promote and move forward the freelancer movement. And that could be all that the ecosystem's growing and getting, getting yeah, extremely, really ex yeah, extremely cool and, and really fun. Uh, and lots of niche players there now too, which I think is a, a kind of a sign of the state of maturity for, for the whole movement. And I want to revolve it back to you. You're you're the you're the guest here. So I go <laughs> I, I go on the site, and you have this awesome hashtag hashtag genetically unemployable. Love it. I know what the words mean, but what is the what does the hashtag mean <laughs> for you? 
for me, it means that I make a really, really crappy employee. I can do a really great job for you. And I love being, you know, the freelancer. I love coming in and being the hired gun and, and, and solving problems, especially in technology. You know, I'm, I have my couple of areas that, that I love more than others. And so there was a conversation with four or five of us and it got thrown my direction about a, a potential project or job. And they're like, oh, but I think they're looking for an employee. And everybody else in the group said, well, then that's not Emily because she is completely genetically unemployable. <laughs> and I was like, I love that. And I got on my phone. And so that was in I think 2009, 2008, 2009. And it was pretty new even at that point to be able right. to get on your phone and buy a URL. But I did. It was probably the first thing I ever bought on a phone, That's but awesome. I wanted the URL so bad. So I've had that domain since then. Very cool. I, I tell the audience almost every single time, like my dad, uh, well, my family, but my dad kind of operated a comic book store in the late 80s, early 90s on Long Island. So a, a good, I'm a sucker for a good origin story. So I really appreciate you, uh, you, you coming <laughs> with that one. I love those kind of, you know, odd turns of phrase like that too, right? Where like you can get it, you innately can understand what it means. And then, and then you know, there's something else deeper there, which is probably what makes a good catchphrase, a good catchphrase like that. So very, very, very cool. So, you know, you are absolutely more than just an advocate for, you know, people being their own bosses and taking the reins of, of their life and kind of shaping it in a different way. And we're going to get into the things you've done and into the, 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 the things you've created and helped create the movements, the, the events and everything else. But philosophically, are there certain things that, in your opinion, keep the majority of people tethered to traditional work? I do. I think it is the belief that it's stable, mm. you know, that there is a stability and that is part of it. The other part of it is not, not everybody is designed to run their own business, whether it's as a freelancer or, you know, more of the entrepreneurial space of building something even bigger than, you know, running something solo like freelancers would do. It's just not in their, their makeup and that's okay. So I, I think those are the two things, right? Some people are just have, they've always been they were born and raised to believe that you go get a, you go get a job. I mean, I was I was raised sure. to, to go get a job, and that's what you're going to do for the next thirty years. And some people believe it, and it works for them. And other people just, even though they kind of see this glimpse of other people doing it differently, they just can't wrap their arms around it. You yeah. know, or or it's it's just too scary. I think the right term is scary, right? I'm I'm 43. I've done other stuff uh, as side side things before in my life, and I've been a top quitter now, you know, 12 years or so, right? And I think as as I aged, the temperature of going out on your own becomes hard. It seems harder, and maybe, and that just might be a story in one's head because I could tell you, in the last 12 to 15 years, I've gained a heck of a lot of skill. Like I've gotten way, way, I, you know, I know a heck of a lot more. I know how to do project plans at, at super high levels and execute them over, you know, months and cross-functional teams. And yet the leap to say, well, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to go out and freelance um, seems to get a little harder over time as other parts of life hit you. You know, and, and I know I, from your bio also that you were doing this but what, you were you were freelancing, you know, thirty plus years. But you were doing it while being, you know, while raising uh, at least one kid. I'm not sure if it was kids, yes, but while yeah. while doing that, and that's part of your kind of your, uh, you know, certainly part of your history and your story as well, which I think is super cool. And then let's let's kind of roll it over to the to the the now generation. So your Gen Z and your millennials. Do you see a different wiring um, in that next gen, or is it? Kind of same old, same old in terms of percentages of who who's flocking towards freelance. I think the percent, percentages are definitely higher. 
because the more you know freelancing becomes accepted in society, the more it, it it's okay. As as you know, when I was in school, especially high school, it, it wasn't even talked about. I mean, right. I literally got in into this as an accident. I, you know, one of my crazy ideas that I wanted to live in a town that had a really cool name, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I woke up one Tuesday morning in Houston, Texas. We were just talking about Houston. Yep. And I said, I, this isn't where I want to live anymore. And I don't want a job anymore. So I walked in, I quit my job and I didn't know that you're supposed to give two weeks notice. So that was my last day. And on Saturday, I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico for no other reason than it had a cool name. And Sunday morning, I woke up, you know, and was like going, oh, wait a minute. I don't, I don't have a job. <laughs> How does this work? <laughs> so I just started calling engineering companies and it turned out that I had a really amazing skill that was needed. I just, you know, it, the universe put me in a, a very specific space and location and skill base. And it turned out what I had multiple companies needed. And so that was the perfect setup for freelancing. And it wasn't even called freelancing back there. It was called you're going to work here for a few hours every week and we're going to pay you this amount, but you're not an employee. I mean, we literally didn't really kind of have a word for it. I'm sure. Anyway, I love the freedom and I love not working for just one company. And, and I was, you know, I was already a single mom at that point. So yep. it allowed me to be a stay at home, single mom to a, you know, at, at that point, two year old, that can be scary. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It can be scary. And it also like starts to hint at the, the why so many folks are opting into freelancing because of those, the, the freedoms that do come with it nowadays. Right. And there's, like we talked about, ecosystems that are growing around it that are helping the space just help freelancers level up and help bring equity back over to them. And we're not, we're not talking, at least I'm not talking like things like, hey, traditional health benefits. Like that could be part of the conversation, but it's yeah, also yeah. really about, like you said, mentorship, how to upskill things that if you're in a traditional labor force working for a large organization, you typically have access to, you know, that the good organizations yeah. do that as part of their, as part of their culture. And if you're freelancing, it's, it's kind of been for a while. Well, you're just completely on your own to go figure those things out, even if it's not a skill set you have, but really need right. to, or want to, to run your, your small business the right way, like your, your solopreneurship. And that ecosystem is really, really blossoming. But I, I do want to circle back to you. when you mentioned Albuquerque and you're like, I love the fact that you picked it because it sounded cool. And I'm sure you did a little bit of like, all right, New Mexico seems like a good get. But I also no, think about- No, actually I didn't. <laughs> I love it. I, so, it, so in my brain, I'm like, uh, is, is she just watching a Bugs Bunny commercial, uh, you know, old cartoon? And he's like, you know, and, and he always mentions that he took a, he took a wrong turn to Albuquerque, right? So, and he, he gets lost. And that's, that's a, a classic Bugs line. And I must ask, since, since you did work in Al, uh, since you lived in Albuquerque, are you familiar with the Weird, the Weird Al Yankovic song, which is about- 13 minutes long or so entitled Albuquerque. No. Oh yeah. We, so what, you know, not now cause it's 13 minutes long, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but Weird Al has an amazing, amazing popular, one of his popular long songs called uh, original, not a parody called Albuquerque. So anybody oh. out there that enjoys, enjoys some Weird Al and I, and I do, uh, go, okay. you know, enjoy it. It's a lot, it's a lot of fun, but that, but that's, but that's cool. <laughs> so we were talking about like you seeing, you know, more of the Gen Z, the, the millennials that, that are, in numbers coming to it. And I do wonder, because you're in this, this is what this is what you're watching every single day. And again, you're setting up events and networks for people to flourish in, in this new freelancer economy. Did what was, I'm sure there was an impact. So it's not like, was it yes or no, but what impact did coronavirus have um, in, in, from your perspective 
inside the whole freelancer revolution or the growth of it as a you know legitimate way to go to go tackle your your life well it definitely helped a lot of people that they just lost their jobs you know a lot of people just get pushed out of a company and then mm. of course you know the coronavirus definitely pushed that even even faster but, you know so you're sitting at home it's like going okay i i still need to make ends meet we had a lot of programs and stuff being pushed out by the government Nobody knew how long that was going to last. And so, okay, so I know how to do whatever it is, right? I, I, I have yep. a skill. And so companies still need that skill. Some need them more now than they did before. And I think that one of the hardest parts was learning how to work from home. I mean, because that can be pretty tough. Mm. So we had a lot of people that were, you know, sent home, even though they kept their job, they were sent home. And then you had a lot of people like myself that I worked from home and loved it very much and still love it. And then my other half came home working from home. He didn't lose his job. He just worked from home. And so we had to navigate all of that. And then you had your group of people like we're kind of talking about here that lost their job and then of course went home. So they they were given this opportunity, you could look at it that way, yeah. to have to dive in a little deeper and figure out what am I going to do in this period of time? Because I may be doing it for the rest of my career. I may just be doing it for the next six weeks because we kind of took the beginning of the pandemic six weeks at a time, you know, yeah. I know that the city of Austin kind of did, they pushed off their reintegration, you know, about every six weeks, pushed it off again until it finally got to the point, okay, we're just going to all stay home until we know something. And I, I think that's how it got looked at. And then communities that were out there, and, you know, I've had my community, there's, I know there's quite a few people out there that, so a lot of people went out and said, hey, how do I do this? And because it's so much more accepted in society to do, to be a freelance business owner and freelance, there was more resources mm. than when I started. It was, you just figured it out. And I love that there's more resources. I don't have to be the only resource. That, that would be a really bad idea because yeah. I have, you know, my point of view and my experience and not everybody is going to follow the way that I, I want to run my life and run my business. So right. I, I love that, that it's become so much more accepted. And like you said, there's a lot more tools, a lot more resources. Question all your resources and question the <laughs> tools that you're doing. Just because they're out there saying something, myself included, doesn't mean that we're right. It doesn't mean that we're wrong. But just make sure it, it fits what you believe and you're not getting yourself in trouble. I dig the advice that like that it's, a, you know, don't, that don't believe everything on the internet, right? So yes, <laughs> don't believe everything on the internet. No, but I like it. And I, and I do want to pivot the conversation over to, so, you know, it, it looked like in the mid 2000s and, and so that you were really focused on SEO as being like your, one of one of the things you really were doing as a freelancer for companies, which, hey, that, that 2000, 2010 sweet spot of like everybody going Google Analytics crazy and really trying to figure out how do we do our best to manipulate these algorithms that now rule our search world and, and then and then way beyond just our search world, right? Really ruled the world in many ways. So there must have been a watershed moment for you where you're like, you know what? Getting just out of my individual contributor, if you will, like just the solopreneurship of what you did as a freelancer. And then you had the idea of, at least I think chron chronologically I have this right, but you had the idea for starting a conference, right? Which, which uh, I, I now, what's the official name of the conference? Freelancer? The Freelance Conference. The Freelance Conference. Okay. And then it has the hashtag FreeCon, F-R-E-E-C-O-N, right? So how did you evolve your positioning where, where you went from, I'm, you know, I'm kicking butt doing my <laughs> thing to like, hey, I really want to be able to start providing platforms and networking opportunities for other freelancers, which evolved into FreeCon? 
when I moved here and I started kind of reaching out, connecting with people, I found that there was a lot of other people that were doing freelance work and they were struggling to find work. And then I also started meeting a lot of people that couldn't find a freelancer. And I'm Mm. thinking, wait a minute, we're everywhere. How can people not be finding work? And how can you not be finding a freelancer when they're literally everywhere? I can, I can be in a coffee shop and find work and then go find a freelancer. So there was another woman here in town that has a, a group as Austin Digital Jobs, and she helps people looking for jobs and vice versa. So yeah. we chatted and took that concept and made Austin Freelance gigs. And so it was an opportunity for you know a freelancer to come in and say, here's what I do. There's no sales. There's no self-promotion. It was literally just you come in and say, I need a web designer and give some details about your project. And then the people in the group would say, oh, you need to talk to this person. You need to talk to that person. And so it grew so fast. And at that point, I'm still a freelancer. I'm doing website design work, a little bit SEO. I'd already started mm-hmm. to move out of the SEO space and trying to figure out what my next thing was going to be in my life. And I love these conversations. So here's what happened inside of AFG, Austin Freelance Gigs, is not only was people starting to get work, I loved that. That was super wonderful to watch. But people felt so comfortable in the space. It was super safe because we had these rules, right? You don't self-promote, you don't sell. And so that made a big difference. People started to ask questions. You know, going back to our conversation of where do you get resources? How do you get support? That just developed inside that group. And people would come in and ask, you know, how do I invoice? What platform do you use? You know, I'm kind of new to all this. And that can be a really tough question to ask because sometimes we feel like we need to have all of our answers. Right. And people are like going, oh, I use this one. I use that one. And here's what I really like about this platform. And I just thought it was amazing that people had a space where they could go and ask these vulnerable questions and everybody else came to the table and, and gave them their feedback. So I decided one night that I wanted to go to a conference that had that. I wanted to go where my people were, my other freelance business owners were. And so I started doing research and I couldn't find it anywhere. And at that point, I had about four or five years into helping um, create TEDx events. So I was one of the co-founders for TEDx Albuquerque for four years. And then I was the founder for TEDx Corpus Christi. And then I'd come back up to Albuquerque. So I was like, wait a minute. I've freelanced for many, many years and I kind of know how to put on a conference because of this. How hard could it be? (laughs) So I went out and I bought the domain freelance conference. It seemed like the logical name. And about a hundred days later, we had our first conference. And at the end of that conference, it was, this was awesome. When are we doing it again? And I went, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I love it. And I love the idea that when you got to the end of that story, you're like, and a hundred days later, you know, 100 days might seem like a long time, but we're talking about a little over three months, right? So yeah. to go from, I'm, I'm doing it, to I need fannies and seats, I need speakers, I need some sort of freaking coffee, and, and I got to feed people some way, right? In a space, you know, there's a lot to do to put and on a, a conference. <laughs> yeah, 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 there's a lot to do. Um, but it's great. And I love, I love the energy and, and the, and again, the action that, that it takes. So, you know, and now FreeCon is been going for you know several years, like you said, since yeah. since 2014, I think was the first one, right? First year, uh, yeah. First year. So you know we're on this. It's 2021. Obviously, we had the pandemic in 2020. Yeah. Things are a bit different now. Hopefully, they stay that way and or just keep progressing. So, is there is there a 2021? And and what city will you be going to? There is going to be a 2021. I've actually just set up um, or, or finalized my primary sponsor for that. So my lead nice. sponsor. So we do have the funding to do it. It will be in October. So it's going to be all virtual this year. We were going to do something in person. And I think it's just still a little bit too soon. 
and it's so expensive to do the in-person stuff. So that's a little tough one, you know, to, to do. So the 25th and 26th of October will be the dates. And we are in the process right now of redesigning the website and getting all the dates out there and getting tickets online, finalizing some keynote speakers and the workshops so that it, it can still be just a really, really great and helpful event for people. And then we are starting to look at cities already for 2022 so that we can get that in place. So it'll be, it, we'll go back to in-person, probably hybrid. We may still, I'd like to still keep the virtual piece of it because a lot of people, they just don't have, this right. might not be the year, uh, whether it's financial, whether it just, I have too much work, I'm going to school. And for them to not be able to take advantage of it, I think is a, a piece that I'd like to remove from the, the conference that the only way you can go is in person. So the pandemic has really, really changed that for a lot of people. It's no longer just, um, hey, let's do a, a simulcast or something like that so people can kind of join in. It is, they literally get to join in. We've learned yeah. as, a, as a society and community of how to make things more interactive virtually. Very good point. It's It's like you said, not just observing from afar, which is, Okay, you know you can listen to a yeah. keynote and that's fine. Versus versus the we've explored at Topcoder a bunch of different technologies. We we do events across our global community, and we've you know we've we've had some uh, a lot of fun like, like refreshing some of those ideas and concepts of how how good can it be and what are some things that you could do that you simply couldn't even do if you were physically together, right? There there are some actual ones yeah. that that go the other way, and I like the idea that the the hybrid model will, will, I'm sure will stick around. And even as we get back to more and more folks, uh, you know, being, being willing to get together, having that hybrid piece is still just something that I think will stick around because there's extra value there. It's simply a great way to get more people involved, which again, in, in a community like yours, it's super important. But I, I also want to talk about, you know, it is 2021. Things have changed. Things have matured over, over you know, a, a fairly short span of time, the last decade or so for how freelancers can kind of look at their their book of business, look at themselves and then how they want to upskill. If you're giving advice to, you know, the, I don't call it the generic or the average, that's, that's kind of hard to say it that way. But what are like the bigger skill sets that you are kind of imploring people who are like, yeah, I think I want to go freelance. What are the, the two or three major ones? You're like, hey, that sounds great. If I were you, I would really focus on these things given, given the time we're in. The one that I always tell people is get to know yourself. It's not so much a skill as really understand yourself and what your boundaries are. What do you want from your freelance business? Do you want freedom? Do you want income? Which, it, you know, it sounds like a little bit of a crazy question. It's like, of course I want income. But some people are doing it as in retirement. It's like going, yeah, I mm. want some income, but I'm really just, I, I want to make sure that the skills that I've spent the last 50 years of my life or wherever we're at in our life, creating, I get to still use them. I don't want to just go home and, and, and die on the vine or mm -hmm. maybe we're creating skills. So what does, what does that look like moving forward? Is there some education that you need? And those boundaries are probably your own personal boundaries are probably the most important for you to really understand. Some people get into freelancing or open up a freelance business and they end up working 60, 70 hours a week. So they're like, oh man, maybe I should just go back and get a job because mm -hmm. I'm working so many hours. And then the next thing is Going from there, figuring out what your boundaries are, what your goals are, and then sort of reverse engineering. Yeah. So then you define exactly what you need to put away for. So again, in those goals are retirement goals, monthly financial goals. Do you want to buy a house? If you want to buy a house, that means you set up your business differently. So going out and finding who is your mentor going to be that's going to help you 
learn those skills if you don't already have already have them, be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, I know I need to do X and I have no idea where to start. Can you just give me some guidance? So I strongly recommend that you find a mentor that will help you walk through some of that journey. Um, And so you're not having to do it all by yourself. And because the other big piece of freelance business that makes it enjoyable, at least to me and a lot of people that I work with, is how do you make your business also your lifestyle so that it doesn't turn into, because a lot of freelancers don't enjoy the business side of the business. Right. So what I learned is that the more I figured out how to incorporate the business side into my lifestyle, the less it felt like I was having to just stop everything and go do accounting and go do, you know, all the pieces that I might not enjoy as much. Can you give me an example? Like, what, like how do you, what do you mean by that in, a, in an example form? A super simple example is, yeah. you know, you're supposed to track your mileage, right? So mm, okay. back in the good old days, you had to carry a book around and I know it's, it's small, but still you carried a book around, you wrote down your start mileage, your ending mileage and where you went, blah, blah, blah. So now you can use things like MileIQ and I can yeah. connect that directly into my Outlook calendar. So it tracks everywhere I'm at and it will look at, it's like, okay, I went from here to here and it looks like she has this meeting on her schedule. So it not only tracks the mileage to and from where I went, but it connects it to that meeting. So all that's done for me. I just have to download a, a report at the end of the year. Why is that important? Well, the IRS says, if you want to write off your mileage, you have to document it. If you don't have it documented, that can literally be taken, you know, that write-off yeah. can be taken away. It's a big write-off. Learning how to um, use a, um, whether it's QuickBooks or I like Wave apps myself so that I'm out at a restaurant. I took you out to dinner when you come to Austin. And <laughs> Um, that's now a write-off for me. We can talk about business and stuff. So instead of keeping that receipt and taking it home, putting it in a pile and sometime next week or next month or whatever, I have to take it and remember, okay, what did I do with this or write on it? Right there, I pay the ticket. I take a picture of it. I might write a little note that it was with you. I can literally throw the receipt away now because I have the picture of the receipt. I have my documentation. My accounting is done. Yeah. So just these these simplifications so that the the minutia of the things that you that you know again in the traditional labor force might be might be cared for by like whatever a function yeah. right? HR or something like that or you know not that we don't have expense reports and got to do got to do stuff too. However, a bit of clearing the deck so that you could your the time that is work time can be like productive, right? Out, outcome driven for the, for the customer or client time. Right. I think that that puts a fine point on the, the, the concept of as you were mashing up the business, the business life with what, like how you want to live, you know, how, how you want to portray and live your life. It, it, and I think it all goes back to some of the elements of really trying to dial in how much freedom you give yourself, which I think is the great allure for most freelancers nowadays, geolocation and, and other things that go along with it, keeping the hours you want to keep saying yes to the work you want to be engaged with, the self-selection component being really a psychological big one for, I think, a lot of people too. So, you know, you're doing free con, you do like, you know, it's once a year, it's centralized in a way, right? You might skip around different cities, but it's like a one a year thing. Is there an aha moment? Because you go and create the freelancer business week. Now you're using a network effect of others who might be, you know, like you in ways who want to bring this, but they probably want to bring it to their community, bring it to their city so they could pop up these one week events that you label freelancer business week. So was it simply that like you wanted more people to experience? Is it more like miniature freelance conferences or are they are they different and unique in their own way? I guess the aha moment was, you know, I was looking at the conference and 
you know, it's always stayed kind of small, 100, 150, maybe 200 people, depending on the year, uh, which is great. You get to meet everybody. It had its own intimacy, if you will. And a lot of people love that, that part of the conference. And then I begin to look back at how the conference started. Well, it started because we were local. And I mean, the very first year, of course, only the people that came was local. And then I begin to look at, you know, Startup Week, the concept of Startup Week and how they really tap into the local groups and, yeah. and come together and manage and, and really support that work. It was kind of all of that, all that came together, like literally within probably a few weeks of each other. And I said, well, why don't we somehow start that? And then I had a few people that were, that had come into town. It's like, man, I wish we had something like this in our town. We originally called it like FreeCon Local, but it was real confusing. And what was FreeCon versus FreeCon Local? And so we gave it an entirely different name called Freelance Business Week. And so we started off with, I think, three or four cities. We went down and did a, a down to Corpus Christi, which is about three hours south of me. And a smaller city, 250, 300,000 people. And it was really fun to do down there. And they love the fact that you get to highlight your local talent of freelancers that have, we all have successes. We all have lessons that we've learned. And we want to, a lot of us want to share those. And so it gives the opportunity for that to happen. It gives the opportunity for the person or people in a local city that's kind of trying to pull their local community together. Cause one of the big things with freelancing is you get isolated, you get tired of being alone. Mm. So they, there's usually someone in a city that's kind of trying to do networking events or workshops and just pull people together for, even if it's for the sake of getting out of the house for the afternoon. And it's like, how can I support their work? Cause a lot of times that human doesn't really know how to create a larger event. It just isn't in their repertoire. They haven't done it before. I said, okay, I'll, I'll help coach you. I've done it enough times that, and so that's really where it kind of started when then the next year we had one, I think in Denver and we had one in Buffalo and we now have it in Tampa, Miami, Dallas, of course, here in Austin, Kansas city. And we've got, I think three or four more cities coming in for 2022 Awesome. So it, yeah. it just, and then of course, with the pandemic, we went virtual. So we did virtual in 2020. We did virtual just, you know, a couple of months ago in 21 and everybody loved that. So we actually went after our national de- designation. So it's now, we now have national freelance business week. It's the third week of April every year for the rest of time. Uh, again, the action begets action story happening there, just like snow, <laughs> snowballing into yeah. the next, the next opportunity. But I do like the idea too, that when you distribute it that way, then you can get the, the hyper-local flavors yeah. too. And that's not yeah. just, that's, that's the talent, but that's also the market that needs the talent. And it's also the community. You know, like I, I, run, I run our local uh, Little League. I became the president of, of our Westbrook, Connecticut Little League this year. And we, we charted out like some of our, our North Stars, like the first two meetings we have with the new board. And one of the things was like, hey, like one of our North Stars is simply going to be like what, whatever we'd say yes to, it has to, it has to raise the community in some way. And, and there's lots of ways that can happen, but it was, but it makes, it also makes decision-making easier in ways it where does. it's like, well, these, these are the things we're saying we, we are staying true to. So saying no becomes really a lot easier. The ability to say no is extremely powerful. And I think in the freelancer world, it's probably got to be that much more amplified, right? Because you are you, are you <laughs> and, and you're controlling your entire book of business. So, you know, really being selective of, of honoring your own time in such a way that you're comfortable with no, which I think has got to be a lot of a, a relief too, that as a freelancer gets to that point, 
mentally where they're not just confidence, but they, they could say no to the money that might be there and, and, and the risk and everything else and be like, no, that's not the right work for me. That's got to be a skill that I would imagine is also something that could really be developed over time or learned over time that it's, it's not only okay to say no, it's probably an imperative for freelancers to know, to know when that, that's the appropriate answer. And how to say no. Mm. You know, um, I did website website design for a long time. I still kind of dabble in it a little bit because it's fun. And I find it, you know, uses my creative side. But regardless, I, I hear a lot of freelance business owners when, you know, they they put a price out there or they go through that entire process and the, the client comes back, maybe ask for a lower price. Mm-hmm. And one, I never found that offensive. People ask for a discount all the time. Sure. So fine. If you want to ask for a discount, that's completely up to you. But it is an opportunity for you to just evaluate. That's okay. I understand that your budget doesn't meet my my price point. I'm happy to either take some things off of this to make it meet your budget, you know, and then we can still work together, but I'm not giving more and taking less. I'm actually pulling stuff off the plate. If that doesn't work for you, it's really beneficial to you, whatever industry you're in as a freelancer, to, kn- to get to know and really develop um, relationships with people that do things do the same thing you're doing at maybe a different level. You know, maybe they're up and coming and so they charge less because they're still building their portfolio. Yeah. And then when those opportunities come up, you say, and I'm more than happy to even introduce you to some people that, you know, are up and coming. They do a great job. I think they will really do well for you and they would be more in your price point. And it still keeps the, you know, the, the, the idea of not burning a bridge there, of course, or just, just yeah. walking, walking away just based on price, but still, still delivering value and increasing your network, your, your network effect to whoever that is that you might be helping to go get that yeah. gig while, while you, for you, 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 you played it the right way, if you will. And, and you can, there's, there's other work out there, of course. And I think that's the, the confidence and maturity that, that comes with, you know, doing it, doing it for at least, and probably getting burned a couple of times too, right? Probably having those stories where like, hmm, my gut said to say no. I uh, said, yeah, I said yes. And, and now, I said you know, yes. Yep, and it yep, bit me. Yes, yep, absolutely. Yeah, so so yeah. that, that, that's, that's awesome and very interesting. So I, I do want to, I do want to land the conversation on a, a kind of a timely topic and, and a kind of a big macro topic that really might yeah. be disruptive to freelancers in general. And, if it is um, potentially very, very disruptive to the to the economy, the American economy, because of the weight and how much how much freelancers now mean to the American economy, the engine that that it is, folks probably know if you're paying a little bit of attention. There's a large infrastructure bill that's making its way through Congress. It has more momentum. There was news just yesterday. We're we're in mid July recording this that they think they have a deal and they have a way to you know reconcile it, et cetera, et cetera. I will not get into the politics of it. I just, that, right. not my place, not, not, not there. However, there is talk that the, that the PRO Act might be an element of this infrastructure bill. And again, you could debate what the heck is that doing there in the first place inside an infrastructure bill, but it is the reality that this piece of legislation might get, might get put into the infrastructure bill. For those that don't know, can you briefly define what the PRO Act is, like just on paper? So my understanding of it is if it goes through, basically what it does is it removes the, I think it's the six-point status that we have now, that there's six questions that you ask um, if you're an employer or if you're an independent contractor. So basically those, those six statements are, you know, things like if they're telling you where to work, when to work, or what to wear, you know, kind of thing, then you're an employee. If they're paying for 
your computer and your licensing and all that other kind of stuff. You're probably an employee. You know, there's those kinds of things. Yeah. They're the same six we've been using forever. And so now what they're, what they're saying is underneath the PRO Act is if the freelancer, independent contractor is engaging in work that has anything to do with their primary business. So a good example is a magazine and you're a writer. So if you're a freelance writer for a magazine, you're now going to need to become an employee mm. because their primary work is releasing content that writers would need to write. So how does that impact um, a freelancer? If you don't want to be an employee, well, then it's going to be pretty tough for you to, to do what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so it really does kind of take away the right to freelance in, a, in, in the majority of ways. The, the piece that comes up for me is like the, you know, the right to identify, uh, hey, this is, I am a freelancer. And, and it not being, like you said, 30 years ago, where it was like, you know, looked at like people, like my, my, the, the CEO of Top Coder, my boss, Mike will always talk about like when we started Top Coder, because it's a, it is a freelancer community at the heart of it. And he's like, yeah, back, even back in 2001, when we started this thing, there was a stigma like, ew, freelancing, you know, like that. And, and another example I had heard was uh, out in California where this was passed, I think it's part of AB6, the AB5. Sorry, I think AB6 sounds like an ABBA album, AB5, correct. And it was that musicians who were going to perform at like local theaters had to be classified as employees because the theater's purpose was to put out, you know, art or music, et cetera. And then the theater couldn't hot could not hire them as employees because of what the law says they must do for employees and the theaters folded and they were like well we just, we can't perform that way so it's it yeah. seems to be seems to be like a, 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 a incredibly big broad stroke the the old throw the baby out with the bathwater that yeah. will have a a uh, consequence of labeling a lot of different people in a way that they probably just don't want to be seen that way and really impact the the enterprise or the small business's ability to go get the labor and the, the outcomes they need via the freelancer because it will just fundamentally change the definition of can I hire that person this way? It seems like a monkey wrench that people are either ignoring until maybe it hits, you know, it hits the fan or, know. you know I, know, I know there's some noise about it, but I, I feel like there's not enough noise or not enough recognition of just how big the freelance element of the economy is in this country and how much money flows through and what that means for local businesses, everything you're doing right. and, and how that can really, really come to a halt. And uh, you talk about mucking up the gears. There's, there's a lot of risk there. I've already um, heard from you know a couple of platform owners uh, that have these marketplace platforms that they're already seeing companies from other countries unwilling to hire freelancers from the United States because they don't know when or if this is going to change. And then that's going to, you know, we're in the middle of a project and I can no longer use this freelancer and I am not going to hire them on. So that's already having a little bit of impact in the United States. So that's going to get bigger, you know, if it passes. The other piece of it is just the sheer fact to look at every single startup. You show me a startup that did not spend at least some large portion of their startup funds using freelancers because right. it allows them to be nimble. I only need a web designer for this period of time. I only need a developer for this period of time. I only need a graphic designer for these, you know, two or three things. And all that goes away because now a startup has to hire a full-time web designer or maybe a part-time web designer, a, a this and a that. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. Right. right. What part of this isn't working? And the only thing that I've heard is 
freelancers are hard to track. So we're not getting enough taxes paid potentially. And is that a real number? We, I don't know. I'm not sure either. And I, and it's, it's, it's definitely a, you know, a frustrating topic too, because to me personally, it's, that's not a good enough reason, right? That they're hard, too hard to track. Well, figure it out. <laughs> if, yeah. Right. If, they, if that's really, if that's really the thing that's, that's, uh, you know, vexing you, well, figure that out. Right. Uh, there's, you know, Hey, also there's, uh, I don't know, there's a tax code that is incredibly complicated. So if you want to do something about it, maybe simplify the tax code. And then the other problem of tracking freelancer work would uh, not be there any longer, right? Um, so you know, it's 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 kind of a funny situation where those who wrote the code and those who wrote the wrote the laws now feel like they have to, you know, uh, revert or or correct something when really the the issue for that if that's the, their main concern might just be the tax code itself. And there's probably simpler yeah. ways to to go about it in the first place. So probably ver- probably veering well into an off topic, uh, you know. Uh, uh, topic for what, what Uprisers is usually at. However, it is so front and center and so fundamental that if we, I don't want to be the host that's talking about the future of work and ignoring something that's currently on the table where I, I knew you had some, um, some points of view to share. So I do want to bring it back to closing out for, for you, Emily, and making sure people understand how could they find you? How could they, you know, just how can they network with you if they're interesting, interested in either FBW or FreeCon? What's the best way to reach out, say hello? And, uh, you know, what could they expect if they do reach out and say hi to you? Well, they can expect me to say hi back. <laughs> <laughs> um, LinkedIn is a great spot. I mean, I really enjoy LinkedIn. I'm getting, you know, better and better at going in and using it. You know, I kind of got on the Facebook um, space for a long time. Uh, you can always go to my website, send me a link. There's even, um, usually usually there's a link on there where you can even just set some time up on my schedule. We can have a chat. If you want to get involved with Freelance Business Week, you can go to freelancebusinessweek.com and you can apply to do one in your city in 2022. We're getting ready to kind of start kicking that off here in a couple of months. And then freelanceconference.com is where you would go and jump into and and find out what's happening with Freelance Conference this year. Thank you so much. We've been chatting with Emily Leach. And, you know, just again, not just an individual freelance rock star who's done it for a long, long time, but really a pioneer who set up ecosystems and networks and events so that the community and that the movement of, of freelancers can continue to grow and flourish and become an even more integral part of just how we live and how we work. So, Emily absolute pleasure getting to know you a bit through this Thank through you. this vestibule you're welcome have an awesome time down in austin and if you ever get the the hankering to to move to another city i hope you do it like you did last time just pick a cool name and go and see what happens right I mean, it's what's the worst that could happen right i, I, love I know it. right you have to move awesome. back to austin all right it's well, all bad and keep austin weird as they say it's a great it's a it's a rocking city i love it hope to be back there soon and and have a have a great uh great rest of your week and have fun with your your event today and thanks for joining us on the uprising podcast appreciate it thank you so much for having me You're If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to the Upriser podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcasts, so it's pretty easy. And of course, I encourage you to follow us out on social at Upriser, U-P-R-I-S-O-R on Twitter. And also, I would encourage you to follow Topcoder at Topcoder, T-O-P-C-O-D-E-R.